Peter chapter 2. Our passage for today will be verses 11 through 17. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. Taking notes, the title of our sermon is Freedom for the Exiles. Uh, I want to start off by reading our passage, and then we'll get right into it. Starting in verse 11, it says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. That is the word of the Lord. Let us uh, pray before we get into this that he blesses his word in us as it is brought forth. Heavenly Father, we come to you again thanking you for this day and for all that you have done. We pray as your word says, as uh, your son prayed himself that you sanctify us in truth, that your word is truth. May your word ring true. Uh, may my words and thoughts be put to the side, and may your people hear you and follow you. This is our prayer today, Lord, and I, I pray that ultimately that your will is done through this time. This is our prayer, and I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we continue our walk here in First Peter, uh, we've seen a couple of things, um, one of which is that uh, we are God's elect exiles, that we have hope in the midst of a troubled world, and uh, the distinct type of love that the brotherhood should have for each other. Last week, Pastor gave us the biblical defense or model for by which uh, God saves his people. And honestly, I've been, I've been blessed through our time that we've spent here. I was a little nervous at first as we got into 1 Peter. It's, I've read through it, but it's not a, a letter that I'm really familiar with. Uh, but as we've gone through it, I, I appreciate um, what Peter is saying, what God is saying through him, and and uh, I appreciate the fact that we're able to walk through books of the Bible and not shy away from things that may be considered taboo or, or difficult to preach from. So I, I don't believe that is one of those passages that, we're, that I'm preaching today, but I'm thankful that we are a church that, that sees the benefit of the whole counsel of God's word and, and that God will speak to his people as he sees fit uh, as we are faithful to the scriptures. So today, in light of all of that, in light of what we've seen so far, we will... We will um, discuss the duties that we are called to fulfill as sojourners or exiles in a foreign land. We are in what we would call our home away from home. And while we are here, Christ has given us commands, uh, just like he gave the Israelites as they were traveling through the wilderness. In verse 9, if we just go back a couple of verses, uh, Paul says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What we see is God's people, we are free, right? We have been set free from the bondage of sin. And that leads us to our sermon summary for today. Uh, our sermon summary is this. There we go, we got it up there. Freedom for the exiles is found in Christ alone. Therefore, be holy as he is holy. Freedom for the exiles is found in Christ alone. Therefore, be holy as he is holy. Now, if he's 
told us and given us these commands that we are free as his people, as these exiles, but we're also called to be holy. How is that done? Well, um, I believe any, any good uh, sermon preached in a Baptist church has three, uh, three points. So I'm going to give us three points today that we, that we go off of. And these points will kind of follow um, an, an alliteration. It's just kind of uh, terminology that doesn't really matter. But anyways, our three points are this. Holiness in our uh, combat. Excuse me. Holiness in our combat. I'll explain that in a little bit. Holiness in our conduct and holiness in our compassion. These are three things that we're going to look at today. Holiness in our combat, holiness in our conduct, and holiness in our compassion. What we will see through that is that true freedom is found in obedience and faith in Christ and all that he has commanded. So let's go ahead and get started. We're going to look first at verse 11 and see how we see God's command for holiness in our combat in this verse. So I'm going to reread it. It says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So like I said, our first point is our holiness in combat. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, if we understand that we are called out of darkness into his marvelous light and that the passions of the flesh wage war against our soul, we have the understanding that our battle is not physical, uh, but spiritual. This is the spiritual warfare that we're in. Therefore, our combat must reflect that. It must be holy. Right? This comes from God, the way that we are to combat these things. Scripture tells us this, uh, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against uh, the rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Jesus also tells us in the parable of the sower that the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Now, this is concerning the four soils where we see the different people that appear to be of God's people, but they fall away due to these issues. Uh, in chapter 5, here in uh, Peter's first letter, he warns his readers with this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And once again, we see that uh, this is a spiritual thing. The devil is not physically prowling around. Uh, he's a spirit. He has no body. But, but um, the only realm in which he has influence is, is in our minds and thoughts. This is why he's called the tempter, the accuser, the adversary. He has no power. He can't control you. He can only lead you, point you in the direction, accuse you of things. This is all he can do. But if we are not sober-minded, if we are not being watchful, he can sneak in, deceive us, and then we will willingly, voluntarily choose to fall into temptation, whatever one he seeks to devour us with, right? We, we will willfully do those things. We never do anything that we don't want to do. Every time we sin, we do it because we want to. We must remember that. It's, it's a choice that we've willingly, thoughtfully, consciously made, and we've done so by rationalizing sin, by compromising what God's word says, uh, and, and this is done by Satan, the flesh, all the schemes of man tempting us to, to uh, compromise what God has said. So the duty of, of the Christian is to combat these schemes. This is a, a spiritual war that we're in. So how do we do that? We do this by pursuing holiness. We do this by abstaining the passions of the flesh, as our verse tells us, because they wage war against our soul. We must first understand that, that the passions of our flesh, these fleshly desires that we have, 
which aren't necessarily always bad things, but these things that we desire, naturally, they wage war against our soul. They want to destroy us, right? If we recognize that, that the desires of our flesh seek to destroy us, they wouldn't seem so appealing to us as they come up. Think about this. Scripture tells us in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is a way to death. Right? There is a way that seems right to man. We rationalize it. We see something, we, we, we make it okay in our mind, and then we go after it. That's, that's what we do in ourselves. We rationalize sin. Uh, we compromise God's word. We do all these things because of the fall of man. We, everything about us is, is tainted by sin. Now, we may not be 100% corrupted in every aspect of our lives, and certain people act worse than others, right? There's people that will do completely vile things their whole life, and you'll have other people that are just morally upright but just never believers. We have a full spectrum of, of wickedness in this world, but all of us have a natural inclination towards self, right? Regardless of, of what we think about people's actions, we all have a natural bent towards self-preservation, so what do I mean by that? Our lives belong to God, right? He has given us life. We are his property. Believer or unbeliever, we owe him our life and our obedience. He deserves that. He's the only one worthy of that. He is, he is worthy of our undivided devotion, not just our attention, uh, our devotion. We, we should be completely devoted to God, which means we shall have no other gods before him, which also means we should have a complete disregard for our own well-being. Right? When we see someone devoted to something, we see that they make tons of sacrifices for that thing, right? whether it be a loved one, a spouse, for your country, uh, for your service to the, to the city. Whatever your, your duty is, if you're devoted to that thing, you show it with your life. You're willing to lay down your life for that thing. Uh, that should be the type of devotion we have for God. But if we're being completely honest, how often is that truly us? How often do we truly have that type of devotion towards God? And he is the only one that is truly worthy of that. So I want you all to think about that a little bit. So what we recognize with that is that sin is our problem, right? Our desire for the things of the flesh, the passions of the flesh, these are the, these are the problems that we have today. So going back to our, our verse, this tells us that, th- once again, this is not a physical or natural battle that we're in, but it's a spiritual or supernatural battle that we fight and this is where it is won in in a supernatural and spiritual uh, realm but we cannot even begin to fight this battle or even have victory over these things if we don't know who our enemy is scripture tells us this um, because we tend to think you know well the, the the devil made me do it right it's always him we always blame the devil for what we do if I hadn't been tempted by him then I wouldn't have done this but This is a verse that I think gets taken out of context a lot of times, and I want to read this. It's uh, found in the Psalms. It says, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Right? It's true. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. This is a promise that God has given. But how often does the the new heart, the new man, the, the the things that desire after God get mixed in and perverted by the old man and the old flesh when we start thinking about our desires? How often does that come up when... I have my mind set on something, and, and I, well, I'm going to delight myself in the Lord, so he gives me that. Well, is, where is my devotion? Is, is my devotion divided between those things? We have to be careful with that, and I, and I believe that's what the apostle is telling us here, that the most important battle that we fight is, is right here. It's within our heart, our soul, and our mind. Regardless of what's going on out here, 
this is the first battle that we must have victory in. This is the first place where we fight every single day. It's when it's in our minds, our hearts, and our soul. Right? Abstaining from the passions of the flesh is another way of saying what the Apostle Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. When we spend time in God's word, when we spend time in prayer before him, when we spend time with his people, this is how we combat the schemes of the enemy, the schemes of our own uh, passions of our flesh. This is how we pursue and maintain holiness in our combat. Now, when it comes to this, this combat that we're in, uh, I want to pull back from the uh, Apostle Paul again. And when he talks about it in his second letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. So if you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to go ahead and read it. I believe this, these verses kind of go hand in hand with what we're seeing here, but kind of expound on it a little bit more. And uh, these verses can be life verses for you if, if this struggle with self-addiction or, or just a pleasing man, if these are things that you struggle with, these are verses that I believe can help you uh, all of scripture is inspired as God breathed, but I believe these verses here speak specifically to this issue. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6 says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We don't fight fire with fire. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Amen. Amen. This is a powerful passage right here. The power, the, the ability that we have to destroy strongholds belong to the Spirit of God that dwells within his people. You understand that every issue that you have in life where you're mind is out of whack and your desires are bent towards self and you can't seem to get past this particular struggle, that power dwells within you because the spirit of God dwells within you. Amen. This is, this is something to be excited about. All of us struggle with sin, right? Some of us have given ourselves over to certain sins in our lives. We're not even struggling with it anymore, but those strongholds that are in us, that, that can be overcome, that can be destroyed by the divine power that, that's within us. We take those thoughts, those temptations, those, all those things that come against us, those passions of the flesh, and we make them obedient to Christ. They have no power over him. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in this world. Amen? Amen. I, I think we should be a little more excited about that. This is something that is powerful for us. We need to realize that nothing in this world has, can overtake the power that, that God has given us through his son, through his Holy Spirit, to combat these schemes. But if we do not know this power, if we do not spend time in his word, if we are not spending time with his people, if we are not being obedient to the things he has commanded of us, we won't know them. And we'll sit back and feel defeated in everything that we go through in life. Like, well, I just can't get past this. I, I, I get angry every time this happens, or I just can't seem to. Well, why? Why are we there? The answer remains the same. The divine power that, that we have to destroy strongholds dwells within us. Why have we tapped into it? Why have we, why have we gone to God's word? This is what we need. This is God-breathed. It's profitable for teaching, correction, rebuking, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. 
That's what the word of God is. This is why we preach from his word every week. We don't need the wisdom of man. We need the wisdom of God to help us fight these battles that we have. Amen. I, th- I think we need to be a little more excited about that. So the, 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 the holiness in our combat is that. Uh, that's how we do those things. We have our minds renewed. But what about our conduct? Right? I want to read, uh, reread our passage from verse 12 to 16, and it talks about the conduct. It says this, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject, to the Lord, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperors as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil or to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up from evil, but living as servants of God. This is our second point. The holiness in our conduct, right? We've talked about the combat, renewing our mind. And if we don't have that down, if we don't understand foundationally that we, we have to fight this battle first in the Christian life, all the rest of this doesn't matter. All the rest of this is just behavioral modification. If we're not taking care of self, we're not guarding our heart above all else, all this other stuff is just behavioral modification. It doesn't do any good. We may look like a Christian, or whatever that's supposed to mean, but we're not going to be acting like one. It is very important for us to understand the heart is the the first battleground. And then after that, the results of a tended heart, of a cultivated heart that's been guarded and been fed with God's word is honorable conduct. This point is a direct reflection of the first. Now, when I say that, what is that? What is the outworking of of a renewed mind that is honorable conduct? Well, it's the fruit of the spirit, plain and simple, love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So what is that? What is Peter saying is the purpose of this honorable behavior? If, if we're just going to be good just to be good, is that us being moral people? Is that the end result of what we're doing? I, I don't believe so. He says to do this among the Gentiles, which means amongst the world. What is his purpose in telling them to do this? Well, we must first remember that this letter was written to the, the exiles in the dispersion. These were Christians who were being persecuted by the emperor Nero. He, they were killing Christians. They were killing them, torturing them. Uh, they, were, they were being hunted down. Uh, if you've ever heard of the, 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 fire, the firecracker, the Roman candle, it, it comes from this time in Rome where they would put them on poles and douse them with, with uh, fuel and burn them. They'd light, them, they'd light the streets with, with Christians. Right? They were Roman candles, right? So uh, not only did they crucify them and feed them to lions and, and torture them and kill them, saw them in half, they'd light them up like that as well. This is the way Christians were treated in that day. We think we're getting persecuted because we get viewed as bigots and, and uh, uh, closed-minded, but these people were dying for their faith. So these people were on the run. They were on the lookout. They, they, they weren't at ease wherever they were. So when we're, when we're on edge, we tend to be a little less uh, honorable in our conduct as well. If we're a little hungry, if we're a little tired, if we're a little angry, whatever, we, we, we haven't had our coffee in the morning, right? We tend to get on edge. Well, these people had plenty of reason to be on edge. But Paul, um, excuse me, Peter is telling them to be honorable in their conduct in the midst of that. that to me, that is just, uh, it's, how, how do you do that? How do you do that in the flesh? You can't. You, you can't. This is a spiritual thing. Only God can give us the strength to do this. So this is what he's telling them. He's exhorting the people here 
to be ambassadors of Christ in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. That by shining light into these dark places, God's sheep will hear his voice and follow him. That through his people, the word will be proclaimed and that it would not return to him void. That in spite of the world's desires to suppress, pervert, and slander the truth of God, that through their good deeds, more of God's people will be called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen. That, that's a beautiful thing. In the midst of this persecution, God's telling them, be honorable in your conduct. Honor me as holy in your heart and, and, and live in light of that. I'm going to bring more of my people in. You will, you will see it. You will see it for yourself. This is, this is a task. of We're not saved just to sit on the shelf and be shiny trophies. We're, we're sent to do work. There's others that need to hear the gospel. There's others that need to be saved. There's others that need to be called out of darkness into this marvelous light that we are in. And verse 12 here is that introductory verse into these, these, this good conduct. Uh, it gets broken down as we continue on in this letter. Next week, we're going to talk about the slave-master relationship. The following week, we're going to talk about the uh, marital relationship. But this week, in particular, we're going to talk about the submission to authority, uh, the governing authority that is over us. Uh, so what is that? What is the submission to every human institution, whether it be emperor as supreme or governor as um, governor uh, sent by him? Well, this is basically any, any person that has a say over you for whatever reason. It can be as simple as if you live in a, in a neighborhood with deed restrictions and you have an HOA and the president tells you these are things in that, in that uh, in, you can't build a house a certain way, you can't have this kind of brick or whatever. It can be something as simple as that. Uh, that's a human institution that's being created. Or it can be something like the local government, the state government, federal government. It can be our educational system, the institution of our education, elementary, daycare, high school, middle school, college, grad school, all those things. It can also be correctional facilities, right? If you're incarcerated, there's, there's guards and, and lieutenants and uh, uh, wardens that are over you. Uh, those are people you are to submit to as well. No matter where we are, if there's an authority figure over us, we're to submit to that authority. And we're to do so not because they're there, but we're doing so for the Lord's sake is what our passage tells us. Um, we must remember that we're doing this for the Lord's sake. We are his people, and we are traveling through here. This is our home away from home, right? We're traveling as exiles to a foreign land. Uh, one thing that, that kind of comes to mind to, to illustrate uh, this, this authority figure that we sit under is, uh, I think about when I get on Facebook and, and see people talk, argue politics, right? People, oh, Trump isn't my president, or, uh, it, you know, when, especially during the election a couple years ago. Man, you would, I, yeah, it was crazy seeing what some people said. I mean, they're like, you're not a Christian if you vote for Trump, and you're not a Christian if you do vote for him. You know, it's like both extremes, and then once he was elected, people were like, that's not my president, and all kind of stuff, just craziness, right? I mean, people's emotions were getting the best of them. It, it's, it, was a, it was a very volatile time for everybody, I think, uh, just because of the, uh, the implications of a Democratic president or a, a Republican president, and, and I'm not here to, to push either one whatsoever. Uh, but I think the thing that I saw as I was online is there was Christians using a lot of um, unwholesome language when, when it came to speaking about politics. And what we must remember is that may be the only exposure to Christianity or specifically our church that some people may have, you know, to Christianity. You know, and it's like if they're going to talk like that, that's the way these unbelievers talk. What am I going to waste my time going to church for if those people are going to be acting like that? 
Now, I understand the frustration, right? When you see the things that are said and, and all of that, right? There, there is frustration because you want to look up to these people. You want to be able to see some sort of semblance of, of, um, of, of, a, of a proper leader, right? You want to see that, but that's not, what, that's not the reason why we are to submit. We are never to submit to someone because they've earned it. That's not why we submit to the authority. Why we submit to them is because Christ has told us to, right? We never submit to them because, you know what, this person has paid his dues. And, I mean, you're just giving them what they're owed, right? That's all you're doing. You're just giving them what they're owed. Oh, okay, yeah, I can reason this out why I want to submit to them. God is telling you it doesn't matter whether they're worthy or not. I've placed them there, and you are to submit to them. You submit to them because I am worthy. Remember, we are travelers. We are these temporary residents in this foreign land. And since I am not of this world, I must not act like I am in, of this world. So when I think about submission or subjection to these governing authorities, well, what does that look like? Because some people have very, very skewed views of what submission is. Uh, they think of it in the home like a, a wife who's a doormat, doesn't say anything, right? She just does what she's told. And some people view that as submission. Uh, and th that's definitely not uh, what we talk about when we talk about submission. To kind of bring it back to the authority figure role, let me give you a, a small-scale um, application and a large-scale. So on a small-scale, when we talk about submission to authority, if you're driving down the road, you're to obey the laws of the land, all the traffic signals. If it says stop, you need to stop. If it says yield, you need to yield. If there's a, the line, a solid line that says you, you don't cross over here, you don't cross over here, right? If you, if you have signals, you need to put those on, right? That's what the law says. Those are laws that are enforced. We need to abide by those things. When we willfully neglect those things, we're sinning against God, right? Those, things, those are governing authorities that are over us. Now, we may not agree, well, you know, this is a long stretch of road. Why is it 30 miles an hour? I can safely drive 35 or 40. It doesn't matter what you can safely do. What, did, what does the law say? That's we're, when we submit to that, we are honoring God as holy, right? That's what we do. I got a smiling face back there because we got an officer here, right? Uh, you know, but, but that's the thing, right? It's not because it, it, those laws don't tell us to sin, right? They just say you have to stay within these parameters. God is telling us do those things. They're not, they don't violate my law. You do them because you're, a, you're, a tra you're traveling through, right? You're not from here. You're traveling through. Obey their laws because you're my people. On a grander scale, when it comes to federal government, state government at times, we, we pay taxes, right? You give taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. That's what the Bible says. That's what we're supposed to do. But on a larger scale, whenever the government violates God's law, right, instituting laws that allow for the murder of the unborn child, uh, for same-sex marriage, for assisted suicides, all these things violate God's law, right? So those things we don't submit to. Those are things that we are, we are supposed to come before our government and say, no, these violate God's law. Like, I understand I I'm going to do all these other things you say to do, but this violates God's law, and I cannot stand for it. I must oppose this. I must protest this. I must vote for people who will uh, help to get this changed. <clears throat> oh, amen, right? Yeah, and when we do that, when we do those things, right, we're not supposed to do them in an in a unloving way, in an, a disrespectful way, or an unloving way, right? We're supposed to do these things respectfully, lovingly, in, in a peaceable manner. That's how we protest or oppose those things. That's how we honor God as holy in our hearts. So what we must remember when it comes to submission is that we don't, we're not, our submission 
to man is ultimately submission to God. It is not a humiliating thing. It is a God-honoring thing. It is us presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to God uh, as our spiritual form of worship. That's what that is. Submission is a biblical mandate for every believer, and all of us are commanded to submit to any form of human institution that we find ourselves under. So that's, this, that's submission, right? That's how we submit to the governing authority. So a renewed mind leads to this godly conduct, the way we interact uh, with people. But when we have these in proper perspective, then we see ourselves also as these sinners saved by grace, which should uh, lead us to a holiness in our compassion, not only in, in our interaction with people, but the way that we view people. It should be done in a compassionate way. And that's where we get to verse 17, which is our last point and our uh, application for today. It says this, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Amen, right? So we, as I got to this point, I was kind of thinking about, um, you know, I think all of us either have family that have served in the military or know of people that have served in the military. And and, uh, I would venture to guess that all of us are familiar with the phrase, freedom is not free. It, It comes with a price, right? We understand that Freedom comes with a price, and just like our nation's freedom came through the shed blood of millions of soldiers who laid down their life uh, for this nation, our freedom in Christ came through the shed blood of the Lamb, right? He set us free from this life of sin that we have. Now, the the laws of this land, the the freedom that we have in this land gives us the freedom to, to do some foolish things, right? We're allowed to do some, freedom of speech allows for a lot of foolishness to go on, which I appreciate it. Um... But God's law and his gospel don't give us the freedom to do those foolish things. He tells us, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Right? He, is, he hadn't given us freedom to, to go and sin. He's given us freedom to go seek and save the lost in his name, to honor him as holy, to live in this, in this foreign land as, as ambassadors, ambassadors of Christ. That's what he has set us free for. So this true freedom that we have is actually found in obedience, right? It's not succumbing to the passions of the flesh which wage war against our soul. That's going to put us back in bondage. It's found in obedience to what God has called us to. Scripture tells us when we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Or we won't get caught up and enticed by the schemes of the enemy. We have to remember that us as, as God's people, as just every single individual, we serve someone. All of us serve somebody. We all have someone we answer to. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, who are we serving, God or man? When I am doing anything that I do, who am I serving with those actions? When I eat, when I drink, or whatever I do, am I doing it to the glory of God? In word or deed, am I doing it in the name of the Lord, or am I doing it in the name of Laramie? Whose name am I doing these things in the name of? Who am I seeking to glorify? Right, that is the question we must ask ourselves. So in our service to God... Our passage today has commanded us to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. We honor everyone, including the emperor, by seeking their good. What pleases God in our interactions with them? That's what good is. It's not just what's pleasant in the sight of man. Good is because is, God, Jesus dying on the cross was for our good, and it was a gruesome scene. So it, it doesn't matter what it looks like. What pleases God is my desire to glorify God in my actions. That's good. That's how I honor people. Does this honor God the way that I am treating them? 
Uh, so that's, that's how we do that. Am I, am I praying for them? Am I serving them for the sake of the Lord? Uh, whenever there is, is error in their ways, am I offering correction when it is needed? Or am I sitting back letting them fall flat on their face? Right? And, and when I do offer that correction, am I offering that correction in a loving way that's seeking to build them up? What is my desire? What, where, who am I seeking to serve? Is it self or is it God? Right? When we do these things properly, um, excuse me, yeah, when we do these things properly, they're done in a compassionate, gentle, patient, and peaceful manner. Right? We can do these things in that way. We don't always have to like or agree with everything. But if we're doing them in a way that pleases God, we, we honor ourselves, we honor our neighbor. We, we honor everyone in doing so. So that's how we fear God. That's how we love the brotherhood. That's how our conduct among the Gentiles will be honorable. And no matter who slanders us or who seeks to persecute us, we will either, if our conduct remains pure, if, if our heart is seeking to honor Christ as holy, if that's what we are doing they will either glorify God through our deeds or they will be put to shame. Either way, whatever the outcome, it's not up to us, whatever the outcome, either way we shine as light in a dark place and we walk in freedom as the exiles we are in a foreign land. So I want to close with this. It's a, it's gonna, it's a reading from chapter 3 here in, in 1 Peter. It's going to be verses 8 through 17. Uh, this letter, as I've read it, kind of just circles back uh, through a lot of the same stuff, and I, I, I love it. I love the way this letter is written. I'm starting to appreciate it even more. So I'm going to read verses 8 through 17 uh, for us to close. I, I pray that this blesses you and encourages you with what we've talked about so far. So verses 8 through 17 says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For who desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. That is the word of the Lord. Let us pray.